Welcome to Our Lives with Shannon Fisher, where we discuss everything that brings us life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first Our Lives with Shannon Fisher for the fall season of 2021. I've got an exciting show today. You guys know how much I love dogs. And my guest is author Jill Twist. Uh, she's a New York Times bestselling author, and she's also an Emmy Award winner. Uh, and the book that she has written is called Major Makes History, From the Shelter to the White House. And it's about Major Biden, the White House pet. Jill, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So how how does one go about writing a book about a presidential pet? Did you have to get permission or anything like that? That's a great question because I didn't know any of that. Um, the answer, at least to my knowledge, is no. Uh, okay. When there's a public figure um, and you're using publicly available information, you do not have to get permission to write it. And of course, it's a children's book, not a, you know, a, a biography. So right. I, you know, I might have fudged some details or done a little imagining of what I think Major's personality might be. Sure. And I, I really, as I was reading it, I just, I smiled the whole way through because he is the first shelter dog in the White House. And so you talk about the rescue, but you're talking about it from Major's perspective of, of, of rescuing his, his dad, the president of the United States. So what gave you the idea to kind of highlight the, the rescue factor? You know, that wasn't initially when I first started to talk to my publisher, HarperCollins, about what they wanted. That wasn't initially where we were going to go. We knew we wanted to focus on Major and on what it's like to adopt a dog from a shelter. Um, but as I just sat down and wrote it, I just ended up finding this very silly dog that I thought, you know, I think we think we're going in there and we're picking out a dog. But I think that very often when you talk to people who went to shelters, uh, they feel like the dog picked them. And so I sort of imagined that that's what the dog felt like, too, that, you know, he's he's checking out people as they come in. In this case, Joe Biden himself actually did walk into the shelter. Um, to look at, at these puppies. Major uh, was abandoned with his brothers and sisters um, at a shelter in Delaware. And Joe Biden came in himself. And what I imagined happening uh, <laughs> was Major <laughs> taking a look and going, you know what that guy needs? He needs me. So I just wrote it. And then I sent it to my publisher with a big note. I sent it in like two weeks before my deadline to say, I know this isn't necessarily the story we agreed on, but I'm sending you this one first. So if you want me to write another one, I'll do it. And luckily for me, they liked it. Excellent. Excellent. And, and I think that is true. I mean, your dogs, animals in general, read energy, nonverbal cues so much better than humans do that we don't even know the kind of things they're finagling when we go in there, go, go to a shelter. I've always had shelter dogs myself. I've got one sleeping next to me now. And in, in the book, you, you add in the end, you know, resources for adopting pets from shelters. Um, and you also talk a little bit about other presidential pets. And there are some really interesting tidbits in there. So tell us a little bit about that. 
Yes, uh, this might have been my favorite part of the whole process. Um, as much as I have loved the last, you know, since I've been alive, there have been dogs and cats in the White House. And I remember reading books about, you know, Millie the dog, who was George H.W. Bush's dog, and Socks the cat, who was Bill Clinton's cat. But what I've learned is that we've actually gotten really boring with pets in the White House because back in the day, they used to have crazy pets there. Um, Thomas Jefferson had bears. Um, he had bear cubs that he kept at the White House. Martin That's Van crazy. Buren had two tiger cubs that he wanted to keep at the White House, and Congress wouldn't let him. Congress <laughs> made them made him send them to a zoo. Um, one of my favorites is that Andrew Jackson had a parrot that was apparently so cantankerous that when he died, um, his parrot had to be kicked out of his funeral because she was swearing so much. <laughs> um, there are rumors. I'm not sure how much this checks out, but I've read about at least two presidents who kept alligators in the White House, which I can't imagine. But also I can't imagine the bears. So who am I to right. not believe alligators? Exactly. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it's a big place. And apparently they have had just every kind of possible animal, animal you could ever have. I would love to go back to the days of crazy big animals in the White House. Absolutely. I can, can you imagine the press corps? All of a sudden an alligator comes across the... <laughs> across the right, right. You know what? Maybe I don't have that question for you, Mr. President. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is great. Now, this is not... This is not the first children's book that you've written, and it's not the first children's book that you've written that kind of has a, a message. You wrote a book that was a New York Times bestseller entitled A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo that had some marriage equality themes. Tell me a, li a little bit about that. That was was that kind of your foray into children's book writing? Yes. Um, I did not start out thinking I wanted to write kids' books. It's something I sort of fell into and fell in love with. Um, I was actually a writer for a show called Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Um, so I was a comedy writer. And as a joke, I pitched a book about Mike Pence's bunny, or more specifically, Mike Pence's daughter's bunny, whose name is Marlon Bundo. Um, I was obsessed with Marlon Bundo. I followed Marlon Bundo on Instagram. I was very into this bunny. Um, and one day I was like, we should write a book about this bunny. And to my shock, uh, they said, yes. They said, sure, write it. Um, so I did. It was the easiest book I ever wrote because I didn't think there was a chance in the world we were going to publish it. So there was sure. no pressure. So I just sat down for a couple of hours at the office and, and wrote what I imagined in my head to be a children's book. And of course, you know, Mike Pence was was pretty vocally not a fan of gay marriage um, and many other LGBTQ rights. Right. Um, so I also wanted to stick it to him a little bit um, and have this be a story about two boy bunnies that fall in love. Mm -hmm. um, and because I could, I did. Right. <laughs> and so uh, after all that, crazily enough, they did publish it. Um, and suddenly I was accidentally a children's book author. Um, and it just turned out to be a really sort of wonderful thing in my life, comedy writing, and especially topical late night comedy writing is exhausting in like a very specific way, especially 
in the Trump administration where you had to just be on the news all the time. Um, and children's books were just a really lovely way to get to meet kids, to get to hang out with kids, and also to get to like talk to maybe the very few people in our society right now who are willing to listen and learn. That's a very good point. I mean, we, we are so divided as adults that that to, to be able to have an impact on on growing minds who are formulating their ideas and ideals, that's got to be a little bit of an honor. And the proceeds from A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo went toward charity. So there was an aspect of, of philanthropy through that as well. So going back to your work on Last Week Tonight, what is it like being a late night TV writer? We have to constantly keep up with the, the day's headlines, whether they're you know ridiculous or serious. You know what? It's wonderful. Um, but I think in the same way that everyone was just physically and emotionally exhausted um, from the news for four years or more or still, um, it, it was tiring. Um, and it was also empowering to feel like you got a little bit of a say, you know, I think there's something that's hard about just watching all these things happen and not knowing what to do. Um, and at least we got to complain out loud to someone. Um, right. It's something I really enjoyed. Um, and I'm still, I'm, you know, I'm writing some stuff for Amber Ruffin's show right now, and she's just a delight. So I obviously still enjoy topical comedy, but I will say after six years there, um, I kind of wanted to just not read the news for a while and not right. feel like I had to know every single thing that was happening all the time at every single moment. And it was it was lovely to have a break from that. You know, I've done the same thing. I mean, it's just when you are plugged in so intensely like that, you're constantly in a state of stress. And then when it's your job on top of it, I can I can only imagine the the pressure that you felt then. So what what got you into comedy in the first place? Because your your children's books definitely have a, a comic edge to them as well. Have you always been interested in, in kind of the comic bend? I'm going to say no. I think maybe I was the last person that figured out I was going to be a comedy writer. When I look back, I used to I used to write like stories and post them like comedy stories and post them in my college dorm. Like I've been writing comedy since I was a kid, but I had no idea it was a job. Um, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I thought I was going to go into politics. Um, you know, I spent college interning uh, in the House and the Senate. Um, and, and then after that, when I decided, oh, that wasn't for me, I actually moved to New York to do musical theater um, and thought I was going to do that. Um, and in the middle of all that, people kept sort of saying, you should do stand-up comedy. Um, and I thought I'd, I'd rather die. I can't think of anything more terrifying. <laughs> um, but eventually I did do it. Um, and to be very honest, it was exactly as scary as I thought it was. I did it for a few years and I was just a little bit nauseous all the time. And then all of a sudden I went, oh, what if you're a writer? <laughs> like, what if you are not actually the person that is standing up there telling the jokes? What if the part you like? Because I would be on stage and I would enjoy it. But like when the audience would talk or heckle or whatever, I would, my first thought would always be like, I wrote these jokes. Like, why won't you listen to these jokes I wrote? Sure. And it's like, well, <laughs> if you don't like the audience, there's a pretty good chance that you are a writer and not a comedian. 
For sure, because you can deliver the same lines, the same jokes to two completely different groups of people and they will land differently and the, the audience reaction kind of informs itself. And um, yeah, that's true. Once you've written something that it takes on a life of its own and you don't have to you don't have to worry about their performance aspect of it. That has <laughs> to take a, a little bit of the stress away. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's I enjoy performing and I, you know, still enjoy performing theater, but uh, stand up was just a lot for me. And it's also just a really tough life. You know, I, I started to look at it and I kind of went, oh, there's never health insurance. <laughs> like, right. like, it doesn't matter how good you get in order to get health insurance, you will have to switch jobs. Like you will have to be like a stand up comedian who is on a sitcom or a stand up comedian who is a writer. Um, and I just kind of went like, I don't know that this life is for me forever. Um, and I started trying to submit to late night shows, which was its own ordeal because of course I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know anybody who wrote for late night shows. So it took a few years from the, maybe I want to be a writer to being a writer, but it definitely was that time on stage that made me figure it out. Sure, sure. Now we're we're on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, so I'm sure we have some aspiring writers out there who are wondering. So how how did you make that transition? How did you break in? Sure. Um, I think it might be. I won't say easier now. I don't think that's true, but I do think the process is a little more transparent now than it used to be. Um, there are you know there are places on Twitter and various places where you can find out how to submit to shows. Um, it used to be an extremely, I mean, first of all, there were not a lot of women doing it. There are a lot more, not that this was 20 years ago. This wasn't very long ago. Um, but, uh, what I did is I started writing jokes on Twitter. Um, I eventually, I was actually a standardized test tutor. Um, so in order to like write at night, I would tutor kids during the day. Oh, and wow. one of those kids <laughs> happened to have a mother who worked for David Letterman. Well, isn't that wonderful? I know, right? So I was like, please let this kid do well on the SAT. <laughs> um, and luckily he did. And after the test, I went to her and I said, I'm so sorry to ask, but could I ever submit a packet to Letterman? And she said, oh, you don't want to work there, but sure. <laughs> uh, and so I got the chance to submit what's called a packet. And it's the same thing you submit for any of these shows, which is basically a series of segments or jokes or whatever that look like something that could go on the show. Every right. show will have a different assignment, a different thing they're asking for, but like they might ask for monologue jokes and then they might ask for a couple of sketches or in the case of John Oliver at the time there wasn't a show. So we were sort of writing segments, guessing what the show was going to be like, but you write something that you think is a thing that could go on television. And then they read that. Um, so when I did that, I actually asked around if anyone knew anyone who wrote for Late Night that could just read my packet and make sure that it wasn't like insanely incorrect, you know, that I didn't use the wrong font and I didn't do something that would just be embarrassing. Yeah. Um, and a woman named Lori Kilmartin, who uh, was a writer for Craig Ferguson, she's has been a writer for Conan for years. She's an incredibly funny stand-up comedian and author, offered to read it. And she very nicely read it and said, like, this is good. Send me more. And I sent her more. 
and I didn't hear from her. And I went, oh no, like, I guess I'm not good at this. This is not going to go well. And literally years later, a woman called me and said, you were recommended by Lori Kilmartin. Um, Have you wanted to submit to TV shows? And I went, yeah, that's all I've wanted. Um, And it turned out Lori just didn't answer until she could help, if that makes sense. Um, And that totally makes sense to me now in that I'm now sometimes the one that can help people. And a lot of times there's nothing I can do until someone asks me. Um, So in this case, uh, the person that called was another fantastic female author named Nell Scovell, um, who has a very wonderful habit of trying to help women get into writing rooms. Um, And so she said to me, all I can do is get them to read your packet. I can't do anything else for you, um, but I can tell you when there's a job opening. And I went, that is all I've ever wanted. Yeah. Um, And within, I would say, well, within six months, I was hired by John. Um, I, so I submitted a packet to last week tonight. Um, I now, I now know all of those packets were blind, meaning that they took off all names and identifying information. So they didn't know that I had never written for television before. Um, and they narrowed it down and then they had us write a second packet. Um, this one was timed. Um, so that way, because it's, it's all well and good if you're a great comedy writer, but if you can't do it quickly, you're not a lot of help in a late night show. Um, so that for the second one, I think we had 48 hours to write it. Um, and that one was also blind. And then they called me in and I met John and they hired me. And it led to a thriving children's book career. <laughs> I know <laughs> that the the amount of turns all of this has taken. It, it, when people ask how, how you get there, I have no idea. The only advice I have is just try to do good things and put them out there so people can see them because you mm-hmm. don't know what's going to be the thing. So you just have to like approach everything with your full energy and your full heart. And then one of those things is going to be the thing. That's right. That's right. And, and, and it always comes when you don't expect it from a direction that you don't expect. And it's, that, that's, that's the beauty of life. I mean, how, how boring would life be if we could plan everything and, <laughs> and, and follow that plan, especially in creative fields? I mean, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all just just one crazy hodgepodge of, of, of beauty and pain, right? <laughs> Right. No, my dad is always asking. I think they've finally forgiven me for not going to law school. But my dad's always like, where do you think you'll be in five years? And I'm always like, I could not in a million years have guessed this. I never would have guessed, you know, TV show. I never would have guessed children's books. I never would have guessed any of it. So just all I'm going to do is like if an opportunity comes and I want to do it, I'm going to do it the best I can and we'll see where it goes. Right. That's perfect. That's the perfect attitude. That's the attitude everyone needs to have because we, everyone beats themselves up. And, and, and like you, when you didn't hear back after you submitted, they, they assume that if they don't get positive feedback, it means that they're terrible or someone thinks they're terrible. But, you know, we all, we all get better and it's all about relationships. And, and the relationship we're talking about today is the one between Major and Joe Biden. When I saw that you were writing this book, I said, I've got to open the season with her. That is going to be that is going to be a great book. And um, and I I just thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about it and your writing career and um, and the the process that has has brought you to to where you are now. 
Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a delight. Absolutely. Well, the name of the book, again, is Major Makes History, From the Shelter to the White House. My guest today has been Jill Twist. And for the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, this is Shannon Fisher. See you next time.